Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio and our sponsors, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Stewart Foundation. I'm John Fensterwald. Louis Friedberg is away this week. With me is longtime EdSource friend Ryan Smith, so that he and I can do a reprise of the annual ritual, the yearly prediction of all things education. Ryan is Chief External Officer of the Partnership for Los Angeles Schools, a nonprofit that manages a network of 19 Los Angeles Unified Schools in Boyle Heights, South LA, and Watts. Welcome back, Ryan. It's good to be here. And I'll say this has become a New Year's tradition, similar to watching the ball drop in Times Square. So always have to spend time with you, John. So the first week of 2021 feels like it's lasted a month. Before we turn to the predictions, let's talk about it. This week we witnessed the wretched spectacle of an assault on the capital of the United States. It was infuriating to see the president egging on the mob. And it worries me to think about the damage to democracy that will be hard to repair. What are your thoughts, Ryan? I think people are telling the truth when they say if these were black folks, if these were brown folks, if these were perceived Muslims, that they not only be treated differently, they'd be dead. And you'd be talking about a bloody massacre at the Capitol. Um, I believe that to be true. And it shows you if ever there was an image of what white privilege is versus the reality for many people of color in this country, yesterday's images proved that there's clearly a difference. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. I think there's no question. And to think that so many student activists in L.A. were involved in the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. last spring, it must be absolutely confounding to see the difference. I was involved in many of the protests that happened. And when I turned to my left and my right, I saw sixth graders, seventh graders, high schoolers who were marching and chanting about the importance of honoring black lives and why the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd should not go in vain. So this comparison in the way that we're talking about it um, is stark. And I think that our students understand this. So for educators across California, having discussions next week about what this really means for the country is going to be important. And we can't just talk about the historical significance. We must talk about the racial overtones that have been happening throughout the campaign and clearly played themselves out yesterday as well. And I think students are well equipped to have that discussion. You know, as disheartening as it is, I think what's really important is for students to realize how fragile democracy is and that they really do need to stay active and stay informed. Absolutely, and we need to encourage those students to start to prepare to run for office tomorrow. We need a depth of new leadership at the helm of many of our institutions, and I hope our students are taking note and this will encourage them, not dissuade them from um, participating and being a part of public service. Well, at the same time, they can look at the results in Georgia. It'll be a 50-50 Senate Republican-Democrat, and that means that Vice President Kamala Harris will be the presiding officer in the Senate and be the, quote, decider on all split votes. And that could be really beneficial to California, particularly with education, to more money perhaps for Title I children, which is what President Biden is going to advocate for, and as well as perhaps more COVID relief, which uh, might not have happened with a Republican majority. Well, we have to say, uh, you know, not only is 
Kamala Harris, um, our vice president-elect, they're going to call her Madam President of the Senate. I think that's exciting. And clearly, California is going to have a voice in what happens. Um, leaders from California will have a voice in what happens for the future of this country, um, whether it's Javier Becerra, whether it's Kamala Harris, um, whether there's many other folks from the great state who are a part of the Biden administration. So I'm excited to see the future. As long as we're talking about the future, let's talk about predictions for 2021. As you know, I wrote my column this week, and I made my forecast in Fensters, my betting currency, in which you can wager on a scale of one to five. And Ryan, you can make your wager in Smiths on the same scale, one to five. (laughs) And uh, it's going to be a momentous year. You know, we still have a disastrous pandemic. It may not even reached its peak yet. We still have kids struggling online. We have to decide how we're going to deal with that loss of opportunity in terms of learning and the trauma that they faced and big budget decisions. So let's go. I'm ready. Let's start with the return to school. When do you think that might happen? This week, a number of districts, including LA Unified and six other larger districts said, criticized Governor Newsom's plan to return to school. He's offering money under the local control funding formula for districts that go back. And they expressed great reservation When do you think L.A. and other districts will go back? Well, I I will applaud the state in in, in trying to do something. So we've heard from parents across California who've said that they're concerned about learning loss. They're concerned about the quality of distance learning and particularly the idea that it may be exacerbating opportunity and achievement gaps for most marginalized students. So to see Governor Newsom, to see uh, Linda Darling-Hammond, who's the advisor to the governor, to see the state superintendent craft a plan, I think is, is, is the right first step. But I, I will say, given that we support 19 schools within LA Unified, there's clearly a lot of things that need to happen before students can come uh, in person. So I believe there'll be some type of hybrid opportunities, particularly maybe late spring, maybe into the summer. I don't believe we'll see schools fully come back in person until next fall. Okay, you're going to lay some Smiths on me there? You know, I'll, I'll give I'll give it three three Smiths, um, and uh, hopefully the value of the Smith will be good this year, but we'll see. All right, I'll, I'll take your Smiths and raise you one fenster and say it will be four that at least elementary schools uh, will be back in almost all parts of the state by April 1st, which is not February 1st or February 15th, which is what Governor Newsom proposed, but it is this year and it's important to get kids back. So one of the things that's on Governor Newsom's mind, though he's not talking about it much, is the possibility of a recall election in the fall. Now, there are a lot of things that may factor into this. It may obviously may not even happen, but one of which is some parents' dissatisfaction, not all, that he hasn't done enough to bring kids back to school so far. You need about 1.5 million signatures by March 15th, which really isn't that far away. The proponents of this have collected maybe about half. And so uh, what do you think? Given the history of the state when it comes to referendums and getting propositions on the ballot, I'm going to give that five Smiths. Uh, Clearly, we are a state that can collect ballot signatures for a number of um, referendums. I don't believe this will be any different. But what do you think, John? 
Well, I agree with you. I think I gave it four fensters, and I think it's probably going to happen, although it will be tight. Uh, and I think that there haven't been any big donors so far, but that's not to say in the next month that some Republicans might throw in some money to make it happen. So, so then if it goes on the ballot, what's, what are the odds that he will be recalled? So even though I said there's a number of asinine propositions that have been put on the ballot, I didn't say they were great. And I think this is a terrible idea for California. I think Governor Newsom is an exciting, dynamic leader who really understands the state well. Recalling him would make no sense with the multiple crises that are happening, um, both economically and, you know, as far as the health of Californians. I would hope that this would not pass. I hope that really actually wouldn't move forward. And so I give I give a half of Smith that this anything will happen of this. I think we're in agreement there. I mean, this is not 2003. California is a very different place from the year that they recalled Governor Gray Davis and elected Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's a Democratic state and there's nobody foreseeable out there to replace him. So it's a really important year for the budget. And, you know, the funny thing was the legislature and governor had predicted a real gloom and doom budget back last June. And it shows you how divided this economy is that you could have massive unemployment and such suffering among low income families. And yet we have enough money from the stock market to pretty much make up for what they expected deficit. So the question is, you know, there are like $12 billion in IOUs that the state said they're called deferrals that districts are responsible for in order not to get big cuts. So the question is, you know, are you going to repay those deferrals next year? It sounds wonky, but it's really important because if you do, that doesn't give districts a lot of extra spending cash next year. And so do you repay them all as maybe Governor Brown would have if he were in office? Or do you say, okay, look, districts, we know you have a lot of problems with regard to the pandemic. Let's pay back some, but not all. And next year we'll deal with that debt. What do you think? I don't think it makes sense to really focus on paying back deferrals in this moment. Once again, this is a crisis that's happening um, not only during the pandemic, but also even as we begin to provide vaccines post-pandemic, just bringing the state back together, bringing places like Los Angeles back together that clearly is suffering both economically and health-wise from COVID-19. So I would say this, this isn't a priority. So it's time to give this one a kick down the road, so to speak. Okay. Are you going to lay on some Smiths there? I'll give it about maybe three Smiths on that one. Okay. I'm pretty close to you. I think that they're going to pay back a lot of it, but leave some of it and hope that the federal government will provide some more aid so that uh, they can pay back some of this money. Another issue that's a real sneaker issue that I don't think people paid a lot of attention to is Governor Newsom agreed to increase the amount of money to schools through Proposition 98 formula by 1.5% this year and in succeeding years. And, you know, it works out in a couple of years to nearly $6 billion. And that's not petty change, even in California. In fact, it's more than would have been brought in under Proposition 15, the increase on business taxes that voters defeated. So, you know, the legislative analyst is saying, hey, look, Governor, you really don't, you know, we don't think you should go ahead with that. And uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting to see what happens. Are they going to give schools more money, which may come at the expense of cities and counties, uh, the way Governor says 
that we need more money for schools. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I will say this. Just because the LAO says we have a windfall of cash today doesn't mean that we'll have a windfall of cash in years coming up. I do think that California still underspends in education. We're still in the bottom quartile of states that spend per pupil. So we need this governor to think about how to support K-12 schools, particularly because Prop 15 didn't pass. And I would say that I'm excited that Governor Newsom is taking a stance here and advocates across the state will encourage him to keep his commitment. And I believe I'm going to get five Russ Smiths, that he's going to keep his commitment and I'm going to be shaking his hand when it's safe to do so for doing it for uh, California students. But what do you think, John? Well, I think that many advocates will be calling you Governor Smith uh, with such enthusiasm. (laughs) Uh, I think that it's going to be a really hard decision because at this moment, the current COVID relief package from Congress gave nothing to states and to counties. And so that's where the tension's going to be because counties are going to say, look, we have social services too, and this is a dire emergency. So don't take money at our expense. It's always a win-lose situation when it comes to this kind of thing. So I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's five. I think it's going to be really difficult. Maybe three. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll hold you to it. <laughs> All right. I'm sharing New Year's predictions with Ryan Smith, Chief Executive Officer of the Partnership for Los Angeles Schools. Ethnic studies. It's been two years in the making. This model curriculum for ethnic studies has been very controversial, and it will come up finally to the State Board of Education in March for final approval. So the question is, are there going to be a lot of changes between now and March? Is the State Board going to weigh in, or is it pretty much done? And will there be a lot of money, as there's talked about, for teacher training so that they can figure out how to teach ethnic studies, in fact, if it passes. It's not a mandate. It's a model curriculum. It's voluntary. So districts have to agree to to teach it. What do you think? Have you been following this, Ryan? Uh, It's hard not to. We've, in the context of the uprisings that we saw in the springtime and the conversation around racial justice and the reckoning around issues of race and class in the state of California, having a robust ethnic studies curriculum is important. And I think the debate that's happening is an important debate to have, particularly because this is the content that will fuel our youth's lives moving forward. And educators across the state are, are, are demanding for change, particularly around this piece. So I actually welcome debate, even if It is uncomfortable because getting this right will show that, once again, California is a beacon on the hill and walking the talk on issues around race. Well, Ryan, you know, there's been a a shortage of substitute teachers this year, which has been hampering the ability of many districts to go back. And I think it's going to shift next year from simply substitutes to a shortage of perhaps teachers as well as superintendents and principals, because I think that the pandemic is wearing them down. Well, I I do think if 
teachers were thinking about potentially retiring or retiring early. The pandemic may have started them down that path, given the challenges that we've seen. Uh, but you know what? I'm actually going to make a bet that a lot of our teacher workforce will be back and that they'll be really excited to participate and really thinking about what the next steps are around the pandemic. I actually believe the majority of the workforce is coming back uh, and really believe that it's vital for our youth and our families that they do so. So I'll give it two that we're going to see a huge teacher shortage. Okay. Uh, we disagree. I think, and, and I'm not happy to predict that it will be bigger. I think that there's, it's going to be a huge shortage and you know, it'll be disappointing, but I think that a number of teachers will just leave the profession. It's been a, a really wearing year. But how about principals and superintendents? Professor John Rogers of UCLA did a big survey of principals, and I don't think the public understands the pressures they've been under and the challenges they have faced this year. And you've been witnessing that yourself on the front line to tell us. So I'm going to tell you firsthand, principals and educators are heroes in, in, in what's going on. They have learned how not only to continue to support instruction, but how to meet the basic needs of families, how to connect them to other government agencies uh, in order for them to support their work. So, yes, they're stressed. Uh, they also are having to take care of their own families. And I won't belabor that point. Uh, I just want to applaud principals and teachers for doing the work. That being said, I think principals get into this profession um, to support youth and that they'll be back in full swing as well. But we must acknowledge they've had a hard time. Governor Newsom, if you're listening, campaigns to really love up on educators and administrators in this moment. Let's put some dollars into it. Good. Well, you put some Smiths behind it. What do you think for uh, a principal shortage? I'll put one. I'll put a one as far as principal shortage. They're coming back in full swing. Good. Well put, Mr. Smith. And I hope I'm wrong because I am foreseeing a major shortage of superintendents and principals next year. And I hope you are right. You know, before we go, we've heard how difficult it has been to do distance learning. And yet there are practices, perhaps, from this and changes in the way schools are structured and organized and the way that teachers go about teaching what they've learned from the pandemic. Do you think there'll be significant changes as a result of the COVID moving back once we're in the classroom and will they be good for students? Yeah, so at the partnership, we've been talking a lot about this evolutionary principle called punctuate equilibrium. This notion that you know, we have long times where things do not change and there are these moments that lead to rapid evolution. I think the pandemic has spurred some innovation that will continue. I know at the Partnership Network, we have thought differently about how we engage students and teachers in this moment and families in this moment. We've called all of our families to have phone call conversations. We're using the data that we've gotten in surveys so really think differently about how we support them. For example, we're currently planning to launch a pilot to subsidize a lot of the internet service for many of our families who remain disconnected. I think there's a lot of districts who will take these innovations they learned, things that were challenging that they've figured out how to get done into the future. So maybe we'll all be talking about this being a punctuated equilibrium moment. So I'm excited about the innovations, although I will say it's been a trying time, a challenging time for most. You know, I think that if schools are allowed some flexibility in terms of 
minimal instructional minutes during the year and a standard you know period structure when they go back i think that many districts will rise to the opportunity and start perhaps doing online classes in weekends or evenings for students for whom it works. They might begin to offer online classes within a district to other high schools that can't offer the same, say, AP course that is done in your high school. And I think the one thing I feel solid in predicting is that there will be a demand for online learning for students who really have found this to be useful and they've thrived in it. We don't talk about them much. And I think the districts are going to do virtual academies, if only to compete with charter online schools. I think the districts will set up like Anaheim Union High School District has. And I think that's one of the changes that you're going to see in the state over the next few years. And I think districts like Anaheim are going to show how it can be done effectively. And we'll see. Well, I've, I've taken my notes and I'm going to hold you to many of these amazing predictions. I believe you may have beat me in 2020, uh, but we were close. So hopefully in 2021, many of the things that we said will happen because many of them will be in important for California students. And thank you. Thank you for always uh, looking in the crystal ball with me, John. Well, we've been speaking with Ryan Smith, who is Chief External Officer for the Partnership for Los Angeles Schools. It is fun, Ryan. And as I said last year, I predicted low expectations for myself and I performed brilliantly to meet those. And I think you did better. So we'll see a year from now. Let's get back together. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, John. That wraps it up for the first podcast of the new year. We at EdSource ended 2020 feeling greatly encouraged. Thanks to our listeners and readers, we exceeded our year-end fundraising goal, raising almost $84,000. We greatly appreciate your continued support. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our music is from the Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and EdSource's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lewis Friedberg will be back next week. I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening.